Hello and welcome to the OT Podcast Club podcast. This time we listened to OT and Chill episode 12, Attachment Styles with Lydia Guthrie. We were very lucky to have Lydia join us for our group and we took full advantage to explore to a deeper level our experiences and thoughts inspired by the podcast. All right, so as ever, I think I'm just going to start with an opening gambit of what did you think of the podcast and what's the first point you want to make? (laughs) So I think I heard about attachment theory first. I kind of feel like I must have encountered it at university, but I don't really remember it. And I first encountered it that I can remember in um, a baby group. They would do the sort of have a coffee and you know babies play and someone would come in and you know one week it would be the fireman teaching us how to not set fire to the house because we were all sleep deprived and and most of them were like you know it's going to be okay it's going to work out except for the attachment person who was like hi I'm going to teach you about attachment now this is the one that you can really screw up (laughs) and it will affect your child's whole life um but you're here so you're probably doing it okay (laughs) slightly terrified um so as you can imagine i have an interesting take on it having been outright terrified as a very very new mum um so i think actually stopping and listening to a podcast properly about it has been really really beneficial because it's taken some of that away um and it's kind of made it all seem a lot more uh manageable i guess wow. yeah that is wow but what i think it made me think of is that it's impossible to listen and to think about attachment theory without thinking about your own relationships that was one of the points that was made on the podcast and it was absolutely true of me that when i listened to all the different bits of it I thought about my relationships, relationships from my childhood, relationships in my adulthood, relationships in my family where I'm the parent, um, relationships where I'm friends, professional relationships, every aspect of it. It made me think of different elements of that and try and perhaps just apply it or to, or to worry or overanalyze, whichever of those it is. I think, I think that element of it was actually really reassuring because um, I think whenever I've heard it being described, it's very much from that baby perspective and the baby example, which is a really good example. And you can really, it really helps clarify the types and, and how they come from. But for me, I think that always makes me jump too far. I think that's what I've been reflecting on since I listened to it is that that explanation of it makes me go from neglected, abused, safeguarding children to the people with severe and enduring mental health problems that we work with, you know, that actually I'd missed the sort of graded nuancey bits in the middle. Um, And I think it was, I think Lydia, when you were talking about your type A strategies, I kind of went, Oh, okay. So it's not that you are a type A person. It's that you have strategies that are type A strategies and that set off this whole chain of ping, 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 ping. And like, oh yeah, no, I'm totally a type A person. 
there was I and my confident I've not been abused I'm all okay so no, no not in the slightest <laughs> that's really interesting I, I guess I guess I, I have a view that attachment theory is it's talked about too much and it's not defined enough so it's overused and underdefined um, and sometimes it's talked about as though only secure attachment is worth having and either of any of the insecure strategies are somehow the product of some kind of damaged life and, and are a bad thing um, and actually that's you know that's 40 40 percent of people if we went if we went out and did the adult attachment interview with a thousand people in the street now um we wouldn't want to do that by the way but if we did um <laughs> about 40 percent of them would have type a or type c strategies so it's not it's not the case that having an insecure strategy is necessarily a bad thing or is correlated with terrible outcomes like you say severe and enduring mental health problems um like like you say kate it's more nuanced um and it, it represents the way that people have learned to cope um, and learned to get the best out of their attachment figures years ago decades ago i my first degree was in psychology so i kind of had this vague when i heard attachment theory i kind of thought i vaguely knew what it was about but either i'd never known or i'd forgotten that it's not it's not fixed it can change and that i found that really that was that wasn't the bit i listened to yeah. um and that made me think quite a bit because it's you know it's not like you kind of have to go oh well you know that's my or that's how that person forms attachment so that's that yeah um, it's not set in stone is it yeah but i think the common perception is that it is yeah mm -hmm. definitely yeah like i i agree with that essence of actually we're all always learning and we're always developing and you can you can retrain your thinking patterns and retrain your ways of how you do relationships based on what you think you've learnt mm. and shift that but yeah i think a lot of society and even a lot of services still act as if nope that's it you're in that pattern and for me like it's not an area i've really worked with a lot but it made me think a lot about personality disorder and yeah the labels that get put on them as if that's a fixed mm. and enduring unshifting mm. pattern of traits mm. as if it writes people off almost which i so i think it's good to recognize that it's not fixed but i think that almost needs shouting about a bit more yeah, yeah. definitely because if you think about it's such a bonkers perspective on it but I, t I totally agree i think i probably had it i'm not yeah but in what other bit of our lives would we go oh do you know what we've got one way of doing that and it change it doesn't change throughout our lifespan you think about the range of different relationships you have you know as an employee as a friend as a partner as a, then as a parent like the fact the idea that you're going to stick with this one way of doing all of those forever is actually a bit bananas i think for me the thing i've been thinking about is actually in this current pandemic situation how that is impacting on attachments and how we're parenting and all sorts of things and working in perinatal we've got babies who have only ever interacted with one or two people they okay they've done it virtually but it's not the same and you yeah. wonder what's going to happen in the longer term and 
and how people are parenting is different because they're fearful of stuff they're not doing things in the same way and I think it's going to be very interesting to see yeah what happens and the pressure these mums and dads are putting on themselves to get this right because they could make the wrong decision for their baby and that's really hard so I think there's a lot more that might come out of this about attachment and things yeah I agree and it's a great example of the human species having to adapt to something that none of us could have predicted. I think it highlights another massive misconception I think I had with attachment theory, because now I remember, I think we did do it at university and it was very much placed in that, um, I don't even know whether it's Bowlby, but you know the experiment where you get a child and you get parent to come in and go out and a stranger to come in and go out and you kind of look at how upset they get in it um That's a strange situation procedure <laughs> yeah that one that one <laughs> just let's just pretend i called it that yeah. um, what was i gonna say <laughs> oh yeah no so my my impression from that had been very much about it being the main carer and it being about this one central carer and that terrified me because I didn't really want to be that kind of mother and it also doesn't sit right because then it makes a nonsense of the kind of cultures where you know the village brings up the baby and the parents aren't necessarily there during the day because they're going out to work and the grandparents and the cousins and you know the whole family brings up the baby um, and I think that this podcast really highlighted that I just misunderstood <laughs> like you know, it doesn't matter who's coming and meeting the needs as long as they're doing it reliably and getting the right needs. It's fine. It's good. It's true. It's and and that again is part of the uh, Western centric style of teaching. I think that that there's this this the kind of Western nuclear family model of one main carer, um, and and all the pressure is put on that person, and it's usually the mum, not always, but usually. Um, and and Kate, right at the beginning, you said this idea of am I getting this right you know um, uh, with the attachment talk at the Sure Start Centre you know this this feels like a huge burden of responsibility I might screw up my child um, and I wonder how often our, our clients or our patients get that message that when we talk to them about attachment theory or when we talk to them about their attachments I wonder how many people feel that we're telling them there's something wrong with them or that they've done it wrong. Or that, or if we're talking to a parent, that they've done it wrong. But actually, when you read some of the literature, it very much says it's a parent, you know, it's because of poor parenting or whatever, or neglect or something like that. And, you know, sometimes it's just circumstances. It's not through, you know, any fault of anybody, but these things sometimes happen or things work. But it does make it hard for families to sort of hear that. Mm. Families who are already doing their best to cope in really difficult situations. Um, or dealing with somebody's behaviour that's very difficult to cope with at this point. Exactly. Yeah, and then, then they're being told it's their fault because something happened. Yeah. Which it may well be, but it's not, I don't know how helpful sometimes that can be. And I think those things just become cycles, don't they? That I always remembered from my clinical practice that you would have the people with this history of difficulties in coping and because of their history and the difficulty in coping they didn't do the things in their life that meant their life was nice and tidy and functional so their life grew these just difficult scenarios that I wouldn't have wanted to cope with and so you had the hardest problems with the people with the least skills almost yeah. and it was just you just kind of thought what chance of 
they got a coping with this but so it did become i think very psychical um, and i and i guess when when i've worked with people with very strong type c strategies helping them to connect with it helping them to think about it helping them to step outside of it think about it notice it and also recognize how it's helped them you know when in your life has it helped you to be able to really make your needs known you know when in your life have you had to shout about the things that you need in order to survive that's why i think the attachment theory can be very strength-based you can help people recognize that strategy as a strength at that time in their lives and then help them to reflect is it a strength now do i need it now or can i afford to put it down occasionally um, and and what might my life look like if i did put it down um, and learn a new strategy and i think for me that was one of the things that actually came across loud and clear in the podcast that it was very honoring of actually you've learned these strategies in order to make your life work rather than being quite perjurative almost in the language of it which i think often things can be um but for me actually it's about recognizing these are the needs i have and how do i think they're best going to be met so what strategies do i use um and that for me was one of the things i something i listened to years ago about um how when our needs aren't met how they manifest in different mental health scenarios almost but one of the things i took from it is actually you do need to acknowledge that as humans we're needy we're not necessarily comfortable with that language it's almost like we've made it a bad thing to be needy that we think being independent and i can do it and i'm self-sufficient and i'm sorted is a good thing but actually we all are deeply needy we've got these inbuilt needs i think that links into something i've been listening to in quite a lot of different ot probably podcasts but generally things um our kind of western perspective on individualism and actually there is a a seam of ot maybe that is so focused on the independence and we're going to help individuals gain independence that it sometimes loses a bit of sight that there's a great value on being dependent and having relationships and recognizing that that's a strength as well and that you know not everyone wants to live as an island and i think that's something that's really important and really valuable to keep recognizing mm. Yeah, I think I'd, I'd really agree with the comments that you've made about needs and, and human needs being at the core of attachment theory. That you know that Patricia Crittenden, who I, who's the main attachment theorist who I've studied the most, she talks a lot about safety and danger. That in times of safety, um, we might be coping really fine uh, and be able to be independent, whatever that means. Um, but that our attachment strategies really come into play when we perceive we're in danger. Um, yeah. And different people will perceive danger differently. So you'll all know from your own clinical work that some people perceive isolation as a threat. And others might feel the opposite and might feel that people being too close to them or too demanding of their attention is a threat. So, yeah. Um, and at, at times like that, when we feel that we, uh, when we, when we feel under threat, um, that's when our core needs come out. And in attachment theory, we think of them as 
the need for safety, the need for comfort, the need for pro proximity and the need for predictability. Say those again for me. <laughs> <laughs> safety, comfort, proximity, predictability. So safety meaning uh, it kind of safe within yourself. Uh -huh. how, 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 how do I feel within myself? I might say to people, how, you know, how, how are you, how's your well-being? Um, uh, comfort, how, how soothed do people feel? So proximity, a need for closeness of others. And that can look different between different people. And with, with children, proximity tends to need to be physical. So very little kids aren't very good at understanding why is granny on the screen rather than in the room? You know, thinking back about your point, Alex, you know, um, but all, as, we, as we get older, we, we can understand proximity uh, as being psychological as well. So, you know, if, if, I've, if I'm having a bad day, then I might send a message to my best friend and she sends me back some smiley faces and I feel better. I feel like she's close, even though she's not. Um, and then predictability is the, fine, the last one. And, and that really means um, consistency. So how, how consistent are my attachment figures? How consistent are the people around me who I rely on? So, and that, that can include professionals. Um, so, so yeah, so those, that's, that's, a, 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 that's a way I often put attachment theory into practice with people is to think about how is this piece of behavior, this person's best attempt to meet their needs for safety, comfort, proximity, and predictability. Um, and what about that is helping them and what about that is getting in their way? So I wouldn't have, I've never thought about people's core needs before, but I wouldn't have labeled them as that. Where does that come from? That comes from Patricia Crittenden's work. Um, okay. So it comes from studies of the strange situation procedure where you, you watch kind of hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of toddlers and their carers uh, under the same experimental conditions of separations and reunions. And then people go away and, and kind of code the different kinds of behaviors that you see um, right. uh, based on hundreds of these examples. And Patricia Crittenden has kind of shaken them up and, and coded them in those particular ways, that there are some safety behaviours, some comfort-seeking behaviours, some proximity and some predictability-seeking behaviours. So, okay. But that, that's not to say it's the only way of thinking, you know, no, and, and this is in relation to attachment theory. Um, and, you know, you, you and OT will have loads of models for thinking about, you know, the, what it is to be human and what kinds of needs humans have to survive and thrive in the world I'm sure I say that confidently not knowing the answer absolutely I, I imagine I'm going to go with absolutely yes <laughs> <laughs> so I, I worked for a long time with people in abusive relationships uh, violent relationships um, and people would say to me that the, the violent relationship it just made them feel safe and feel comfortable because it's what they knew. And, and people would say, I know the rules. You know, I, 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 this, this relationship, I know there's things about it that were wrong, but it feels comfortable because I know what the rules are. Which, you know, if you think about it through that lens of safety, comfort, proximity, predictability, there's an awful lot going on there. 
Um, and and helping people you know which is why often just taking people out of that relationship and putting them in a refuge often doesn't isn't that effective because we have a new relationship yeah yeah they either and because it doesn't feel safe yeah yeah absolutely what's terrifying to that person is waking up on their own in a refuge um because they're because those and those emotional needs um, they haven't learnt new ways of coping with those emotional needs. Um, well, if you think about it, you're being told what to think, what to say, what to do. Yeah. So if you suddenly have to make decisions and choices, it's really scary. It's really because scary. what if I make the wrong one? So, you know, I, mm-hmm. I'd rather be told what to do and then I can't get it wrong. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Which isn't in any way to, to criticise or, or, you know, no. um, it... it people people are making decisions at those times very influenced by trauma um and and doing the best they can to stay safe um, i think often it's about services uh we prioritize physical safety over psychological safety so yeah, yeah. and they do, they do go the two go have to go hand in hand because you can't work on somebody's psychological safety till they're physically safe and vice versa yeah. if they're not in the headspace of being able to do it it kind of yeah. you've got to count it's a catch-22 isn't it yeah. And I think that's where some of these things fall apart, isn't it? Is unless we give, we try, we try and take some of the, the you know, the behaviours we don't like away, so like self-harm or drinking or yes. substance issues, yeah. but actually we haven't actually given them strategies to use instead. Yeah, that's, that's a good example. Yeah. Which links me to the dark side of occupations, which is a favoured topic about understanding um, the occupations we do that are coping strategies but perhaps societally perceived as dysfunctional in whatever way or unhelpful. So is attachment theory quite a westernised view? That's one of the things I've been having in my head as we're going through. Is yeah. Does it hang across every global culture? Is it seen in the same ways? Yeah. I, I suspect right. it's yeah. quite westernised, but I don't actually know. Yeah, it's a brilliant question, Ruth. I'm really glad you asked. Um, uh, if you put, if you Google, you know, pictures of attachment theorists, it's it's <laughs> white men and women, essentially, uh, and and most of them are quite posh. Um, and uh, and I I think certainly the way it the way attachment theory is embedded within professions is it can be very westernised. So the way it can be used in children's cases in courts with by social care can have a very western centric view patricia crittenden has done a huge amount of work looking at attachment in different cultures and attachment across the world so one of the really interesting things if you do a strange situation procedure with kids in all kinds of different cultures around the world you will see that the patterns are readily identifiable. So you can identify type A, type B, type C patterns right across the world. Um, But sometimes the way they show themselves is very different depending on what is sanctioned within that particular culture. Um, So the patterns transfer between countries and the core ideas transfer, but the way they're enacted might look different. Does does that Mm -hmm. kind of make sense? Um, and yeah. we don't reflect enough on that. Most people in the UK and in North America who wrote an attachment are white people, educated middle class people, and there's not enough reflection about how might this strategy look different um, in, in um, 
you know, in, in a, a, a subjugated community who, you know, uh, I'm very interested in working with people who've migrated between countries. That's what I'm doing my dissertation on at the moment. And so how might, how might recent migrants into a country or refugees, how might secure attachment look in that community, for example? These are all questions we don't think enough about. It's interesting for me because I had, as I mentioned before, when I, when I had my children, I was living in Spain um, and it's just made a lot of things fit into place, actually. That that's why I was doing everything differently to all the other moms and kind of, I became in the end quite mistrustful of the um, kind of um, the equivalent of the health visitors because they were telling me to do things with the babies. I was like, no, that's not right. No, no, because it was culturally, culturally different from what yeah. I would do and um, so yeah that's really, I, and it had never occurred to me I mean it kind of knew I was like well they do things a bit differently but to relate it to the kind of whole attachment theory um, and how it all fits in yeah with that cultural difference is interesting. It is really interesting how it's then used though because if you're gonna use this kind of stuff you have to be more aware of that because it, it reminds me of um we had a Portuguese lady who uh, was involved with child protection and a lot of the social work reports would come back and her care coordinator would say, they're going, oh, for goodness sake, but that's just how they parent in Portugal. And it would be things like, oh, you know, she doesn't immediately bring him a snack every day or I can't remember, obviously, the details, mm. but those really subtle little kind of things that you just go, well, but actually their bond is the bit that's the important one, isn't it? That's the bit that we need to look at. And that's the bit that's doing really well. Yeah. And even within like white British culture, there's cultural differences, isn't there? Huge cultural differences over one area to a next or one sort of how a person's been brought up and what's the norm for them over this is just how life works. This is how I've experienced it versus someone else who's looking at it making a judgment on it you should see the arguments over how people make cups of tea in our office no. <laughs> well see cups of tea is a very good skill in it I nearly failed someone on like a very early kitchen assessment because I don't drink tea no one in my family ever drinks tea we're a coffee family and um and I was properly marking her down and about to prompt her in fact I think I might have prompted her that she'd put the water in the teapot and not put any tea bags in and um and she just looked at me yeah exactly (laughs) she just looked at me and was like I'm warming the pot come on (laughs) (laughs) like okay not cognitive deficits then all right (laughs) she probably had a tea cozy as well (laughs) (laughs) Uh, and you know all of these things but for me what I take away from them is that sometimes as practitioners we're not aware enough of the the values the ethics the practices the experiences that inform who we are as a person Mm. Uh, there's Mm. a there's a a great quote in systemic theory that um from this guy called bertrando he talks about um our life experiences and attitudes being like the soles of our feet that we take them everywhere we go but we don't often examine them um oh i like that say that again Um, the soles of our feet so they you know we take them everywhere and everything we do rests upon them but we don't often examine them enough 
and 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 all of these things you know how what's my understanding of safety and comfort you know what's my understanding mm. what's mm. an okay amount of distress for someone to be showing and what makes me feel uncomfortable you know and we will all have different thresholds based on our own experiences and our own attachment strategies um and sometimes as professionals i think that we don't examine those enough we we kind of attribute those qualities to the client or the patient um as you know mm. she's needy or she's unbounded or he's cold you know. but you're a rescuer which is what yeah. you yeah. yeah 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 so so we we kind of uh, for me i think that's where supervision comes in um and, and really good peer discussions you know, conversations in teams about how different how we experience people differently um, and I think and one in the same situation differently, yeah. isn't it? When you talk to somebody about a situation, you can have a very different perspective on the yeah. same situation, isn't it? And they both might be valid because, again, as our experiences and stuff that have yeah. come before, but it's helping people understand that, that it's not that they are right and you're wrong. It's just that we're both interpreting something differently because of what's happening. Yeah. The thing I thought was fascinating was about... Um, compatibility and clashes of attachment style and unpicking them and I thought that actually that could in my take on it that can happen in services as well that a service or a team has a, a team culture of how they like to relate and how they like to form attachments with the people they work with and what they want to get back and if there's a clash of that that almost that becomes a dysfunctional relationship yeah I, I've definitely known teams that are very cognitive you know quite a strategy there's everything has a rule and there's spreadsheets for everything and you know they they get everything done on time and it's very organized and very ordered um, but often it's teams like that who have um, pejorative relationships with people who are more emotionally unreg unregulated you know who or type C you know, they they kind of can have mm. we, we can have all kinds of very punishing professional words for people who uh make their emotional needs known if if we are more comfortable with a strategies um, and i think that essence of where we've said actually those strategies become more prominent at the point where you're more stressed i think as teams that happens as well so that when a team is more stressed it relates to trying to control essentially um and then for people but i think i that was the strategy i could think of scenarios where i've worked with people who no matter what you do cannot be soothed because they're still trying to go but i've got needs i've got needs i've got needs don't go but actually as a service you just go no matter what we do you don't want it and that's it becomes quite a difficult relationship dynamic to meet and to manage yeah I think what's I think something that's coming to my mind that's quite interesting is how actually you can have those clashes but also it doesn't have to clash so I think it's this categorizing again that we've categorized it into three but actually those three don't all look you know everyone in a isn't the same yeah. as everyone in a because yeah. I was just thinking that actually I possibly work um, better than some other people with people with type C strategies 
because now I understand myself to be such a button down type A person. So it kind of suits me that it's all about them and they're expressing everything because I'm just going to sit here and let it wash and take it. And it's not going to involve my emotions. We're not investigating my emotions. So I'm good. So, you know, it, it might be that some A's and some C's are a disaster, but some A's and some C's are a fantastic mix. Yeah. Yeah, because if someone, you don't always want someone the same as you, do you? That can be just as bad. The thing I'm going to think about is I love that bit about the soles of our feet, that we take them everywhere and we don't examine them. But I've got a, a model that I did at an open day at the university, but it was from the Creative Expressive people. And they did a model of the imprint of that bit of the, your hand because they said it was about the fact that that's what you hold. It's the therapeutic space that you hold, but you never see. Oh, wow. And I, yeah, I thought it was hugely profound. And I've got this um, model of the imprint of the inside bit of my hand. And that's what I thought about with that. It's the bit we take everywhere, but you never see and you don't examine. And I think that is about our all those bits of culture that just are ingrained in us and you don't necessarily see it because it's it's just life in it and how we think yeah. i think we've done some foot examining today <laughs> yes absolutely <laughs> and long may it continue definitely yeah. lots of thoughts prompted definitely yeah, yeah. definitely yeah yeah um, I feel like we need a podcast club to discuss the podcast club because my <laughs> brain's going crazy <laughs> Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed our chat. Next time we will be listening to the Occupy podcast, episode 74, Devon Brock, deep dive into gender identity and stigma.